Good morning. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. Today our scripture comes from Genesis 23, verse 1 through 2. Now Sarah lived 127 years. These were all the years of her life. Sarah died in Karath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you for this precious life you have given each and, one of us, each and every one of us here on earth. Please be with us in those moments that are very heavy and hard. Help us to find strength in your words. Please speak through David this morning as we find peace and comfort in you. Amen. Thank you, Jill. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and weep for her. Happy holidays, everybody. <laughs> you know, when, when I'm asked what my favorite holiday is, I always clarify the question, are you talking about like a day, that day, or are you talking about a whole season? Because if you're talking about the day, the answer is unequivocally Thanksgiving. It's that kind of one day that, that we don't have to buy gifts, there's not pressure, it's just a day to celebrate with friends and family and those we love, a day to elevate gratitude for, for all of the incredible things that we have, all the incredible things God has given us in, in our relationships and everything else. I love that day. Now, if we're talking about a season, nothing beats the Christmas holiday season. I, I'm the guy that wants to start listening to Christmas music in September. Um, I will watch Christmas movies every single day between Thanksgiving and December 25th, sometimes January 25th. Um, I love the parties and the lights and the decorations. It is just such a season of joy and gladness and merriment and celebration. So you ask, why are we now in our third week in this room, in this place, talking about the seasons of the soul, talking about loss and mourning and grief. And the reason is because during this season of joy and merriment and laughter and decoration, the already intense emotions that come along with the experience of grief become more intense, become exacerbated. This, this idea that I am all alone in this is highlighted as it seems like the world is going on and celebrating without us. Kind of the, the textbook definition of Greece, uh, of grief, excuse me. <laughs> Travis, I'm glad you're back. Um, the textbook definition of grief is the emotional suffering that's brought, brought about by bereavement, by mishap, by disaster, by loss. Not a whole lot of, you know, warm, fuzzy feelings that come along with that definition. It doesn't really capture the true experience of grief. 
that, that experience that, that occurs when one day everything in life is normal. And then something happens and nothing is ever normal again. I read a definition of the grief process this week that I thought was beautiful. And it said, when one is grieving, there is no place or time where that thing that happened didn't happen. The reason we are doing this now, two weeks before Thanksgiving, at the very beginning of the Christmas holidays, is because that thing that happened, happened. And the world is going to try to make you think over these next few weeks that this should be the time that it didn't. But we want to be equipped and prepared to both walk through the grieving process and walk through the grieving process with our friends that are grieving during this time. You see, the the Bible is full of examples of grief right from the very beginning. You know, Genesis chapter 6, God, the creator of the universe himself, grieves that his perfect creation has been corrupted by sin. Tons of human examples of grief in the scriptures. Ruth chapter 1, we see Naomi as she grieves the death of her husband and of her sons. Just the very next book, 1 Samuel, we see Hannah who, who is so moved by grief that's brought on by years of infertility. That people that see her pray in her grief think she's drunk. Throughout the Psalms, we just see incredibly gorgeous, poetic pictures of grief. Psalm 42, tears have become my food day and night. Into Lamentations, an entire book about the process of grief. My eyes run down with streams of water. Jesus himself grieved. Matthew chapter 14 as he finds out that his cousin John the Baptist has been executed. He's so moved by grief that he has to remove himself from the crowds and go find an isolated place so that he could properly begin to mourn. In John chapter 11... Famously, the miracle of Jesus as he raises Lazarus from the dead. Immediately before that miracle, he is so moved by the grief of the friends and family of Lazarus. He is so moved by the death of Lazarus that he himself begins to grieve. That's where we got my favorite verse in Sunday school when you had to memorize verses. 11.35, Jesus wept. That's where it comes from. Jesus grieved, yet with all of these examples through the scripture of the grieving process, somehow, sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking that grief betrays a lack of faith. Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those that love God, right? One of the most abused and misused verses in the entire scripture. We hear things like that and we think, 
oh, well, if I really believed that, this wouldn't be that hard. If I really believed the promise of God, I would be able to get past this. Why am I paralyzed in grief if I believe what I say I believe? Jill read for us this morning two verses in Genesis chapter 23. And Jill, you did an excellent job with those words. Um, This... This passage in Genesis chapter 23 is telling a piece of the story of Abraham. Now, if you're not familiar with Abraham, he is the father of multitudes, promised by by God that his descendants would be uh, greater in number than the sands of all the deserts, that they would be a great nation, that God would change the world through his descendants. God also promised Abraham that his descendants would have a very specific place, the promised land, that place promised by God. Now, God kind of began to act on his promise when Abraham was 100 years old. God gave Abraham and his wife Sarah their first son. A couple of decades after that, Sarah, Abraham's beloved wife, dies. Abraham is in a foreign land, this place that God had promised him, but God had not yet given him. When his wife dies, and and Abraham, we see here in verse 2 of Genesis chapter 23, begins to grieve and to mourn and to weep for his spouse. As we go through that chapter, we then see Abraham purchase a tiny little piece of land where he could have a burial plot for his wife. Now, I want you guys to understand the significance of this. First of all, Abraham, a foreigner in a foreign land whose spouse died, like most of us today, but certainly in his culture at his time, the proper thing to do would be to go back to the place of your ancestors, to go back to your people, to go back to your home where you could bury your spouse. Abraham, a foreigner in a foreign land, instead of doing that, he bought a tiny piece of land so he could bury Sarah there. The significance of that is Abraham buried his wife in the place that God promised he and his descendants would occupy. Sarah's burial plot is the first piece of the promised land that Abraham held. Genesis chapter 23, verse 2. Abraham mourns, he weeps, he grieves for his wife. Yet Abraham so believed in the promise of God that he buried her there in the place God had promised his descendants would live. You see, Abraham mourned and grieved and Abraham had confidence in God's promise. The two are not mutually exclusive. If you are with us this morning, if you are in this place, if you are in a season of grief and you have ever 
allowed that to bring about doubts of your faith, of your relationship with your creator. Hear me say this morning, true faith, confidence in God's promise does not absolve grief. Grief does not betray a lack of faith. They are not mutually exclusive. We here on this planet, part of the human experience is grief. It is natural and inevitable, yet it makes us so uncomfortable. Grief certainly brought about by uh, the death of those close to us. Also brought about by the loss of things in our life, the loss of our health, the loss of our security, the loss of relationships, divorce, so many things around us that cause us to enter into this season of grief. And that's what it is. It's an experience. Grief is not a singular emotion. There are things this morning that we need to understand about the grief process. In the grief process, we will experience seasons of sadness and anger and anxiety, guilt and shame. Your experience in grief will not be like any others. As a matter of fact, your experience in the grief process may be different at different times of your own life. We must be aware of those around us that expect their story to be our story. You know, most of us have heard of the stages of of grief. Denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, right? Those are absolutely real. They have been studied ad nauseum. Sometimes we fool ourselves into thinking it's a linear process. And if I am to grieve properly, I have to go through each of these stages in order. The stages of grief are not linear. You will cycle in and out. You may return back to one of those stages of grief. You may experience two stages of grief simultaneously. You may skip one altogether. That is okay. Because your grief experience is as unique as you are. Now, at the beginning, the acute stages of grief. We may be experiencing some some very intense emotions, some physical effects. There's lack of sleep, loss of appetite, confusion, inability to focus. You're going to forget your keys three times in one day. That's okay. A desperate desire to isolate yourself. Loss of interest in things that you formerly loved. All of these things are a part of that acute stages of grief that, that could last six months after that thing that happened, whatever that event is. And some of those symptoms will continue to manifest themselves in your life for two years. Yet culture and society tends to give us about three months. Then they start to ask, 
why isn't he over this yet? Why has he not moved on? What's wrong? How can I get him through this process? The modern American workplace, on average, gives three days of bereavement. If you are with us this morning and you are in the grief process, hear me say it's okay. There is no shortcut to grief. Yet so many of us desperately want to find that shortcut to the other side. It's one of the reasons it's so hard for us that are walking with a friend through the grief process. We don't know what to do. We just want to make it better. We just want to help our friends that are hurting. Whether the pain is physical or emotional or spiritual or all three of those things at the same time, we just want to say that thing that's going to make them feel better, but we don't know what that thing is. Do, do, I, do I give them advice? Do I, do I give them a hug? Do I try to cheer them up? Do I not say anything at all? Do I pretend it never happened? It's hard. It is a hard thing to know how to walk with our friends and family members that are in the grieving process. This book, as relevant today as it was a couple of thousand years ago, gives us an incredible picture of the grieving process and walking with friends through the grieving process. The entire book of Job is about grief. If you know anything about Job, Job was a righteous man. He was a family man. He was a man that desperately loved God, reflected the glory of God into the world around him. He was a financially successful man. He was described in the first chapter of Job as being the greatest of all the people of the East. And then Job lost everything. And when I say everything, I mean he lost everything. His crops and his livestock were all stolen or destroyed, leaving him financially in ruin. All of his children died. He lost his health, suffering with an awful skin disease. Job experienced such horrible and untold physical and emotional suffering that he became unrecognizable. But Job was not without friends. He had some buddies. They saw what was happening and they desperately wanted to help. And there's so many things we can learn from Job's friends. Turn with me to Job chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. If you don't have a Bible in front of you, you can see the words on the screen behind me. Job chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Now, when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite. Now, if any of you are pregnant with triplets this morning, let me be the first to suggest Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Excellent names. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they heard about all this adversity that had happened to him. 
Each of them came from his home. They met together to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize Job. They wept aloud. Each man tore his robe, threw dust into the air and on his head. Then they sat on the ground with him seven days and nights. But no one spoke a word to Job because they saw that his suffering was very intense. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Several things just from this passage we can learn about what it looks like to walk with our friends that are grieving. The first thing right at the beginning, so simple, yet so easy to forget. They heard what happened to him. There was an awareness of what was going on in their friends' lives. This is what community looks like. We know and are aware of what our friends are going through and dealing with. That does not mean we're all up in everybody's business all the time. It does mean there is an intimacy and a connection to the point that we can recognize when something is wrong. Job's friends knew. They heard what was going on, and then they came. They showed up. They did not send praying hands emotion from their beach house on 30A. Thoughts and prayers. Hope everything's going to be okay. They dropped everything and they went to be with their friend. They heard what was happening. They dropped everything to be present. And when they got there and when they saw him, they were moved by his suffering, by his grieving, to the point that they began to grieve for him. They wept. They tore their clothes. Not as some sort of grand show, but absolute connection with their dear friend that was in mourning. Mourning his broken heart. It didn't stop there because after they see him and after they weep with him, after they tear their clothes and they put dust on their heads, they recognized it wasn't over. We haven't fixed it. They remained present with their dear friends seven days, seven nights. They just sat with him on the floor and they didn't say a word. They knew in that moment there was nothing to be said. They knew in that moment their friend's suffering was so intense he couldn't communicate. He didn't want to communicate. And they just sat with Job. Eliphaz, Bildad, Zophar. Their friend was hurting. They hurt with him. Everything was as it should be in a community as they supported and loved their friend. And then they opened their mouths. Job chapter 3, seven days, seven nights of silence. And then the silence is broken by Job himself. He begins to speak. And he was 
upset. Job begins to say things like, may the day I was born perish. May my very birthday be cursed. Why didn't I die when I came out of the womb? Chapter 3, verse 20. Why is light given to one burdened with grief and life to those who existence, whose existence is bitter? Those who wait for death, but it does not come. God, why do you wake me up every morning? I just want it to end. Chapter 3 ends with Job saying these words. I sigh when food is put before me. My groans pour out like water, for the thing I feared has overtaken me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I cannot relax. I cannot be calm. I have no rest, for turmoil has come to me. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, mourning with their friend, present, sitting in silence, hear these words. And recognize, oh, well, I guess seven days wasn't enough. Apparently, he's still upset about his entire family dying this horrible skin disease and losing all of his earthly possessions. So what do they do? They recognize their friend's brokenness. They just want to make him feel better. So they start talking. They start giving him reasons that maybe this happened. Let's make some sense out of this, Job. Have you done anything wrong? Because this very well could be God's punishment on you. That's going to help. <laughs> they start to give him ways that, they can, that he can make it better. That he can get through it. Just, just ask God for forgiveness and everything will be fine. Everything is going to be returned to you. They just wanted to make it better. They didn't. You see, we read the book of Job and we read about these three knuckleheads, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and it is so easy for us on the outside looking in to recognize the ridiculous things they were saying to their friends in his loss, in his suffering, in his grief. But then as we step back, we get it. I, I understand. I've been there in those awkward moments when my friend is hurt and broken and suffering. When my friend says things like, I, I just don't want to be here anymore. I just want it all to end. And I feel like I've got to say something. There's got to be words that I can speak into this brokenness that's going to make it okay. First of all, understand this. You cannot experience what your friend is experiencing. You may have suffered grief. You may have suffered brokenness, maybe even the same type of brokenness, but your experience is not their 
experience. It's awkward. We don't know what to say. It is okay to speak. Don't be afraid to talk about it. You are not going to remind them of anything they have forgotten. That thing is with them in every corner of their mind, in every corner of their life. You're not going to bring it up and they will suddenly remember what happened. But as you are moved to speak, ask yourself why you are speaking. Is it because you don't know what else to do? Is it because you desperately want your friend to feel better so that you feel better? Or is it truly out of a desire to be with your friend in that moment? Most importantly, you must release the urge to fix it. Not only because you can't fix it, but because there's not necessarily anything to fix. If I can give you, as a friend of someone suffering, advice, it would be these two things. Be patient and be present. There is no shortcut and there are no magic words. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that death is the final enemy to be destroyed. It will continue to be with us. Grief will continue to be with us. But as Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 4, we as Christ followers, we grieve, but we do not grieve as the world grieves. We do not grieve as those without hope. There is grief, but there is also a promise and a hope, and it's a hope that does not disappoint. Allow yourselves to enter into the grieving process if you are with us this morning. You are grieving the loss of a loved one. You are grieving the loss of a relationship. Let me first tell you it's okay. It is okay to grieve, it is important to grieve. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus tells us that blessed are those that grieve. Blessed are those that mourn. They will be comforted. If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear these three things. First of all, God will walk with you through this. Psalms 62 tells us 
to pour out our hearts before the Lord. First Peter chapter five. Bring all of your worries to your father because he cares for you. Deuteronomy 31. The Lord will walk with you. He will not leave you. He will not forget you. He is present with you in this, both in ways seen and in ways unseen. Secondly, grief takes time. Your journey will be different from the journey of others. Be patient with yourself. And finally, I want you to hear me say, you will survive. There is another side to this. There may never be a moment that you forget. And that's okay. That's to be celebrated. That tells you of the love that caused this grief. There will be another side. And in the meantime, God is with you. And so are we. I would love for us to take just a few moments as we close out our time together this morning. Some moments to come to our Father. Take just a second to get yourself into that place mentally and spiritually. If you need to move, if you need to come forward, if you need to kneel, just clear your mind of everything else that's swirling around right now and be present with your Father. Bring to mind a friend that is grieving. If you are grieving, take a few moments to think about that loved one that you're grieving. Remember them, honor them. Ask your Heavenly Father all the questions. Bring to Him your sadness, your anger, your guilt, your shame. He is bigger than those things. Now thank the Lord for that time 
When the corruptible becomes incorruptible, when the mortal is clothed in immortality and his promise comes true, that death has been swallowed in victory. Allow yourself this time to both grieve and stand in the incredible hope of our Lord Jesus Christ that does not disappoint.